Welcome to Crime and Reason on Talk Zone, bringing you the backstory in high-profile crimes that television leaves out. Now, here are the hosts of Crime and Reason, John Kelly and Leo Badenhausen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Crime and Reason. Uh, glad you could be here. We're glad to be here. Um, I'm Leo Battenhausen, and I'm here with John Kelly. Good evening, everybody. Glad there to have is. you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, indeed. Uh, hope you had a good... Here I am. Uh, I'm hiding over here. Uh, you were there yeah. somewhere, John. You know, looking for you underneath the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep an eye on this guy. I'll tell you what. Right, right. He disappears, you know, over by the water cooler there. Um, hope you all had a good week. Boy, it's hot over here in Jersey today, John. It's supposed to get hotter, too. Oh, man, is it brutal. Yeah. But in any case, we're here. Um, last week we uh, mentioned we wanted to talk about the um, the Chattanooga shooting. You know, where where four Marines were killed and a Navy uh, a Navy uh, um, Navy man was killed as well by uh, this this Mohammed Yusuf Abdul Aziz, who is a, a 22, 24 year old. Um, Kenyan-born, naturalized American, 24 years old. This guy was said to have more bullets than could be counted and the ammunition stocked up in uh, his possession where he went into a Marine recruiting base, blew away, I guess, four Marines there, then went to a military base. I believe he stopped the car and just started shooting rampantly within the compound there. And uh, he was finally uh, fired down himself by uh, a policeman who I heard the police saved many, many lives that day. And that's very good to hear. Um, I want to talk about this, this epidemic of these, these young, these young adults, males. Uh, some of them are um, a Muslim, some are not. But uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what brings people, these kids to ISIS and, Gives wants the what cause do they look to serve and doing these horrible, destructive things? And I want to talk about a little bit what I know about this uh, Abdul Aziz guy. You know, he comes from a broken family, and uh, parents were divorced. Father apparently physically, financially, emotionally, and sexually abused the mother in front of the children. Okay, this is what kind of man he was. They have divorced. He was once under suspicion, you know, by authorities to see if there's any connection to him and terrorist activity. But apparently nothing panned out of that. But I found that very interesting. Yeah, he was on the he was on the watch list. Uh, the father was for a while terrorist watch list. Then they took him off it. You know, just uh, just unbelievable. Uh, you know, the way this whole thing. Uh, evolved. You know, we're looking at a kid, Leo, who is, uh, you know, got a degree in electrical engineering. He's 24 years old. He's a graduate from uh, Tennessee University. Uh, he oh, died yeah. in the attack as well as you brought out. And he did kill four Marines and a sailor yeah. who was wounded eventually died as well. So you got altogether five. If you incorporate him, count him in, you got six uh, victims. And uh, when you mentioned uh, that there would have been many more fatalities, right? Uh, if 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 given the opportunity, this guy was loaded, locked and loaded, in fact, locked and loaded, ready to roll. And, and in fact, 
There are two people that went with him to buy ammunition, and these people are being talked to now by authorities to see if they have if they knew why he was buying that ammunition and what his intent was. If if they knew that he was going to attack, you know, this uh, naval base and uh, the security center. I mean, pretty crazy. Interesting. I mean, uh, that you know, this guy was not on any radar. I do, do know that as well, whereas the father was. Now, the father, the mother is scared to death. She really fears for her life with the father. He has, you know, kept all money from her so she couldn't make a living for herself or buy a home. And now with, with um, um, Mohammed here, he was the only son. There was four sisters in the family and him. Mommy, like, blew him into such admiration and proportion. She was mommy's little boy. She gave him everything he ever wanted. You know, so here, you know, you see the beginning of that formula of the buildup of look how special I am. You know, and I don't think she meant any harm, but uh, this guy, I think, you know, and he was very successful. He did well in school. Apparently he was a, a master in martial arts. He had friends. He was known to be a, a quiet, com- compliant kid, studious. You know, but and mommy built all that up, but that seemed to take a turn somewhere along the line. You know, and they, the officials now suspect that this attack may have been ISIS inspired. You know, because the target attack, the target of the attack, and the timing. You know, it fell in uh, the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which ended uh, very. I think yeah, that they're day. looking. Yeah, uh, Ramadan uh, definitely uh, is when uh, you know ISIS was suggesting that radicalized people in the United States should act out and kill police and military personnel. But this guy actually had a major, looks like Al-Qaeda, kind of incentive because he was radicalized uh, by Amar Alawaki's videos. Uh, Amar Alawaki was the uh, sheikh from over in... Um, in Yemen, he was he was American born, and uh, this guy they know for sure had a couple of videos uh, from this Alawaki and yeah. was watching them. And then also, uh, Leo, you know this this guy, this kid ended up with a DUI, and I think you mentioned to me when he was pulled over, he smelled the marijuana and had white stuff under his nose. That is correct. Uh, we don't know. But he was arrested for that DUI and charged with it. Another thing about it, in his high school yearbook, he, his uh, senior entry contained this quote, which I found very chilling. My name causes national security alerts. What does yours do? So, That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, yeah, he, well, he did. Listen, um, what they're finding out as they look more into his background, they found some of his writings and things of this nature. He, uh... A family member said he wrote about wanting to commit suicide as far back as 2013. He was um, he was a Kuwaiti national. We said that before. He was thousands of dollars in debt, was considering filing for bankruptcy, and he was struggling with addiction to prescription pills, illegal drugs, and alcohol, and was battling depression. This is from the family now. So, but and that kind of coincides with that DUI. This kid, I think he was one of these guys who. Just, you know, wanted more for himself. He wasn't cutting it. His sister got married. He wasn't married yet. He wasn't, he wasn't getting ahead in life. You know, that we've seen the story before. So he finds this cause being a Muslim. And there's been, you know, he has roots in this stuff, or at least, 
some type of knowledge of it. He wrote a lot about anti, uh, anti-American activities against, um, uh, Muslims and, uh, Obama, you know, Mohammed. And so these, these things stirred and stirred and stirred. And he was watching videos of, um, these other radicals and these recruiters, you know, that apparently, you know, forced him over the edge where he said, I'm going to take a stance and do this. This was an otherwise decent guy. He didn't yeah, do bad things. He didn't do bad things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, the Samar Alawaki, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, not only inspired the Fort Hood shooter, the psychiatrist there that killed all those uh, servicemen, mm-hmm. uh, but also, you know, um, was trying to radicalize a lot of people, and he imp- he played a role in the underwear bomber, that came over on the airline and tried to light his yeah. bomb. He had some kind of bomb in his underwear mm-hmm. and try to light it up and uh, blow up the aircraft. Finally, as I mentioned earlier, he was killed in a drone strike by the United States. Thank God, back in 2011. But you know what? When when you look at this uh, young man here, it's it's very sad. I mean, we're looking at depression. They're saying. They're saying uh, he abused alcohol, he abused opiates, he abused marijuana, he abused uh, some other sleeping aids. I couldn't find out what they were. Uh, but, you know, he had some failures. I mean, he ended up, and, and, and I'm glad he did this, he ended up testing positive. And this hasn't really come out in the news, but I picked this up. He tested positive for substance abuse while working at a nuclear facility in the United States and got no. fired. Can you imagine oh. if this guy was ready to commit a mass murder and he was already embedded into a nuclear facility here? We don't, yeah, we don't even want to think about the possibilities of that. You yeah, know, it was his job. Like- Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a job there, okay? And uh, he said, one of his quotes is, life is short and bitter. All Muslims should go to Allah. Life is short and bitter. <laughs> uh-huh. All good Muslims should go to Allah. Well. You know, when they arrested him, this is very interesting. This guy had an AK-47 assault rifle. Now, an AK-47 is an assault rifle that is usually very, very dependable and does not jam, okay? And that's key here because last week we were talking about the Colorado shooter. Yeah, You know, Aurora, Colorado, Mr. Holmes. And if his AR-15 semi-automatic did not jam up, he would have ended up killing more people. But anybody, from me being in the service years ago, I learned real quick the difference being between an AK-47 and an AR-15 assault rifle, uh, which I carried. And the difference was the AK-47 was much more dependable. And well, that's the standard uh, arms for all military personnel, isn't it? That's the uh, the gun of choice has been for years, isn't it? On the well, the 
You're right. The gun of choice for most people is the AK-47, but unfortunately for the United States and U.S. personnel, they're not getting AK-47s. They're getting uh, AR-15s, um, which is the semi-automatic, and the mm-hmm. fully automatic is the M60. Now, there's there's a different there's different model numbers now, but they're they're not getting AK-47s. Our guys aren't getting them. Okay, but this is this is for anybody that knows anything about automatic weapons. Uh, this is you know the weapon of choice, no question about it. Interesting, you know, and I'm, our guys should have the better equipment too. But anyway, yeah, so he 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 had all the stuff you know that he bought and purchased. I guess he got it legally. I don't see yeah, any indication yeah. that he bought it any other way, you know, and um. He was known. He's, I mean, I think this guy had a little bit of, I think his mom kind of created a little bit of narcissism in him too, or sociopathology in him, you know. He would start writing things in his diary and know that life is, life of this world is but amusement and diversion and adornment and boasting to one another, you know. And, uh, he also said, he, what is the worldly life except enjoyment of delusion? Like, so where was this guy going in his head? His, uh, you know, and he snapped, I suppose. And I do believe it was he wasn't accomplishing enough. He said he got fired from this job. He yeah. wasn't, uh, you know, getting ahead in life. So he, he got on the coattails of a, of a cause. You know, and at 24 years old, life is short and what? I mean, you know, what 24 year olds don't really, you know, <laughs> they're not ready for the world yet. Some of them. And he certainly, uh, seemed to not be ready for the world as a, as a full adult yet. But at 24 to say, you know, life is short and, you know, enjoyment of delusion is what we're here for. It's, but his mother supported all of this, you know, and really built up his head saying, you're going to be, you're great. And you know, the other, the other uh, piece of this is, and you and I both know this, he could be 24 years old, but if he's a substance abuser, he's 24 going on 16. Well, yes, he's, yes, if he, yeah, exactly. They, they get stuck in whatever age they get, uh, started on their addiction, right? Their maturity level gets stunted. Yeah, exactly. It's much like schizophrenia. When somebody breaks, that's usually where they stay, you know? So that's why you see like older men or women uh, that are with schizophrenia dressed in like clothes from 30, uh, that look like in fashion 30 years ago and their hairstyle. So it's very interesting. Substance abuse is not quite that extreme, but you're right. Men- mentally and emotionally and socially, they are stunted as to when the- they started using. You know, Leo, there's some uh, info out there saying that he was bipolar as well. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that because I don't know how anybody can have a clear diagnosis while he's under the influence of these other substances, what do you think about that? Well, I don't, I don't buy that either. And you're right; you can't have a clear diagnosis in, until you're you're free of substances for at least a month, at the very least, because there's no baseline behavior to attribute any kind of symptoms to. You know, when substances are involved, you know that all bets are off when it comes to an accurate diagnosis, because there there is such a thing as you know, and I know substance induced psychosis, substance induced depression, substance-induced everything. So we might be looking at that at best. But, I mean, depression still, you know, see, I don't buy that for for what he did. Again, depressed people don't go out killing people. So, I mean, when are we going to get that straight? Maybe he was depressed, but if he was, that wasn't the reason he did this. I don't buy that for one minute. 
true, no, I don't true depression, true depression, that is, you know, truly yeah. depressed. They don't go on these shooting sprees. This is just maniacal and evil and, uh, you know, I don't know what they would even call it, brutal, monstrous behavior. That's not a, a depressed person. No, and, and they were saying that he was on SSRIs. Do you want to tell the folks what an SSRI is? Sure. Those are, it's, a, it's an antidepressant. It's a type of antidepressant um, that uh, kind of slows down the serotonin reuptake signal in the brain. Yeah. So what it does, depressed people, the reserves of our serotonin when you're depressed get sucked up too fast. So there's none held in the reserve chamber, which need, which we need to keep us, you know, level and stable. So what these, what these uh, antidepressants or SSRIs do is, is thin that tube so the, so the, the serotonin doesn't get sucked up as fast and keeps it in place to, to level us off. Yeah, that's a very, very good explanation, Leo. That's exactly you know, what the they inhibitor, do. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great, great explanation. You know, also, uh, when you're looking at this guy, you know, they're starting to float a story out there that this particular antidepressant, this SSRI, uh, had a warning label on it that could cause the person to become suicidal. So I'm not buying that either. <laughs> Well, I don't this see who, he, where's the suicidal. Uh, I mean, there was a history of him wanting to kill himself, but that was a long time ago. And I don't buy the suicidal either. If you want to be, if you want to, people that want to commit suicide, John, they commit suicide. Yeah. They don't talk about it. They don't tell people about it. I don't, you know, 99% of the time, you never know somebody is going to kill themselves when they do. That's right. a really depressed person. They don't go around, you know, broadcasting that. They all just do it. You know, usually when you say I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself, it's an attention-seeking behavior, a call for help, if I may. You know, somebody listen to me. That's more accurate. So, um, you know, yeah, these SSRIs, they all come with that warning. You know, I mean, and any medication comes with all kinds of crazy warnings. But I've never seen it and in all my years of practice. I've never seen anybody in an antidepressant become suicidal. I got one for you. I don't know if you know this or not. This guy... Uh wanted to go into rehab, wanted to go into inpatient. Yeah. And his family tried to get him inpatient. I guess he finally acquiesced and said, okay, I'll go. You know, they guess they did a bit of an intervention on him. And guess what? The insurance company wouldn't pay for his inpatient stay. Now, you're not seeing that in the headlines either, are you? But no, some insurance not. company, some insurance company may have been able to get this guy inpatient for you know, intensive treatment, and uh, maybe things would have turned out different. I'm, I'm waiting to see what the name, which which insurance company this is, because you know we've dealt with many. I want to talk about that real quick when we get back from the break, because it's very important for people to know, uh, you know, our American citizens how this works and doesn't work. So stick around. We're going to be back in a few minutes. Um, this is crime and reason, folks.
Extra Healthcare Services was founded in 1991 by Executive Director John Kelly. Our outpatient drug and alcohol counseling centers provide an individualized approach to treatment with a strong emphasis on building self-esteem in our clients and helping empower them to take effective control of their lives. Our program has had an extremely high success rate because our board-certified and licensed counselors and psychologists design a program just for you or your family member to help deal with alcohol and drug abuse. We specialize in addictive illness in both adults and adolescents. Our entire team is committed to helping you or a family member become healthy. Our alcohol and drug abuse counseling centers are located in Middlesex, Monmouth, and Union Counties with both day and evening appointments available. Call 732-721-3835 or email us at info at extracarehealth.com. That's 732-721-3835 or info at extracarehealth.com. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Battenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, the common sense way to find happiness and satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. Bringing you the truth behind crimes today. You're listening to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Back to John Kelly and Leo Battenhausen. Okay, we're back, folks. Thank you for sticking around. This is Crime and Reason. Um, John brought up before the break that the, they tried to send uh, Mohammed to a rehab, and the insurance company they were using, or the rehab, or someone apparently uh, denied him entrance. Now, my pet peeve of mine, and what what are what the people in this country need to understand is that there's two schools of thought on, you know, these kind of killings and the, the madness that goes on. Some say it's, you know, the, why didn't the mental health world, you know, acknowledge this or see it coming and do something about it? Or the other half is why didn't, you know, the, 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 the legal system see something coming, you know. But the, with the mental health field, and I can't really speak for legal, but mental health field, we know, and I know, insurance companies are organized crime, in my opinion, as well as uh uh, big pharmacies. These are billions and billions of dollar industries, and this is how they save money by denying people treatment. Now, you said maybe we could have saved these five lives, and his this guy's life was his own life if he got the treatment he needed, and that's possible. But you know, some of these HMOs, as they're called, or uh, health management organizations, they'll give somebody six individual psychotherapy sessions a year. That's it. If they get that. Now, can you cure a serial killer or a murderer or uh, any kind of monster like this in six sessions? So, I mean, this is what goes on, folks. You really need to understand some insurance companies are better than others, but they don't want to pay for helping people. 
They think they should be able to be treated outside of a facility, you know, for, for something free. You know, go to AA, go to NA, you'll be fine. Right, John? Am I right or wrong? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's legal. It's like legal organized crime. I mean, yep. it's they're, they're behooving to their stockholders. Right. And who, and what do you think? They have to the- produce a better bottom line. And the only way they can, you know, there's no magic when it comes to uh, the mental health field. I mean, you either reduce fees or you reduce visits to make more profit to up the bottom line. I mean, there's nothing magical about it. It's common sense. And this is why, uh, you know, the mental health uh, field, uh, addictions uh, included, has been, uh, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, put down over the years. I mean, they've been, they've been, uh, you know, just really, uh, you know, kicked to the curb and discriminated against. That's the word I'm looking for. I mean, and you, you, you know, I've just been discriminated against. Absolutely. We are the stepchildren. And then this is the other thing. This is where big pharmacies and um, uh, insurance companies go hand in hand. Get them on pills. They'll be fine. Get them on pills. Get them on pills. So this is their answer to treatment. And we know pills are not, at best, if you need them, they're, not, they're no more than 30% of the solution, in my opinion. The rest is work. And the rest is therapy and the rest is hard work on, you know, changing your life and, and making, learning different coping skills, et cetera, and so forth. So when people hear, why don't we just get this person help? You really have to understand help's not so easily found. And that's not people's faults. You know, it's, it's big business's faults. What do you think the CEO of one of these major insurance companies does all day? That what can they possibly, they're not trying to help find more ways to help people. They're looking on how to save money. So, you know, let's keep that in mind. What is the CEO of, I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, what do you think they're doing? How can we help people more? How can we spend our money better? Do you think this is what they're talking about at their board meetings? I can't <coughs> doubt it. John, you said this guy went to Jordan or something for his Oh, trip. yeah. Tell about that. Yeah. Yeah, what happened is, I guess, when he couldn't get the help he needed here, for the uh, for his addiction, his substance abuse, mm-hmm. the family decided let's get him away from the people, the places, and the things, which is always a great idea when it yeah. comes to addictions. Good move. Let's get let's get him, you know, over to Jordan. He has an uncle, he has family over there. Let's get him out of the environment and send him over to a drug free area, and that's what they did. Unfortunately. The uncle that he went to see, you know, supposedly is a radical. And they think he may have become radicalized by this uncle while he was over there trying to get sober and clean. And he may have migrated towards this uh, radicalized version of Islam. Mm. Oh, and, and if he wasn't using drugs, he's in a vulnerable spot, isn't he? Very vulnerable. Yeah. Very vulnerable, very vulnerable indeed, and uh, they have the uncle in custody now. Uh, the Jordanian authorities have him in custody, and the FBI, I guess, last week was on their way over to interview. Yeah, I read that too, and um, yeah, they were they were looking into all angles. There's FBI, there's a spokesman for FBI. I think his name is um, last name is Pack. He he, uh, he wouldn't say if they're looking into um pursuing his uh, records of any mental health stuff or records for uh, for Abdul Aziz. 
You know, but another FBI guy, Ed Reinhold, he told reporters um, about the case uh, that agents are, were looking into all aspects of his life. So I don't know. The, the jury's still out on that. I'm sure they will. They probably should. But you know now when you know now that he's dead, you know, I don't know how much will go into this or how much will be reported. You know, it kind yeah, of loses yeah. its lust, loses its luster as far as you know airtime, which we yeah. need to know this guy's motives. We need to know more about him, and people should know. Well, that's why we do that. We have the backstory here because we bring out what you know a lot of media won't bring out because they're focused on uh, sensationalism. And, you know, uh, this guy's, you know, he's, he's, he's yesterday's news now. Yeah, but you I'm know what? We're still, you know? still waiting on the toxicology reports from the day. Yeah, of the I can't wait to see that. Yeah. How, how long does this take? You know, those reports are, are there. I want to know yeah. what this guy was on, if he was on anything. So, yeah, it's going to depend on the corner and it's going to depend on, uh, how long it takes him. And then it's going to depend on, when and how they want to break the news. You know, you know, this guy also had a handgun and two rifles in the car when he was killed. See, I don't oh, know yeah. this, how many guns do these people think they're going to use? You know, that that's part of this whole thing, this whole ritual they go through. They come like with all these guns and well, how many do you need? But that's another <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it must be part of this. Yeah. The pathology of these killers. I'm going to bring all my guns and all these bullets. I mean, how many do they think they're really going to use? But Yeah, and you know what he even had? He had what? what's called a load, a load, L-O-A-D, bearing vest on, oh. and he had it jammed with ammunition. So obviously this guy <laughs> came for the long haul, and uh, he was good to go uh-huh. and make sure he had plenty of guns and ammunition. Yeah. yeah well, you know, even when the police searched this house, they found another rifle as well. He 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 had so much ammo with them and so many guns with them, he didn't even need that other rifle. He left it at home. Yeah, well, you know, it's all part of the pathology. I think this hoarding and stashing and, you know, um, stocking up of firearms does something to their head. Where they feel that they have power, I guess, you know, more power, 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 or some kind of purpose. They're very, very sick. And we need to know more. I mean, this is a diagnosis in itself, and it's becoming one, and uh, one of more lately. You know, there's a shooting, it seems, every week. We know about the, uh, I don't want to get into the details or the story about the mentally ill guy who went into the theater and shot people, and he killed two people and injured a whole bunch of others. I forget yeah. his name, but uh, here we go again. It's just. <laughs> But he was uh, uh, certifiably mentally ill. Well, our, our hearts and prayers would go out to these these uh, victims here and their oh, families. Yeah. I mean, we really it's, it's absolutely horrendous, and um, we're we're with you and um, you know, in in your in supporting you and hope you get through this, John. Now you have found another case of interest with um, your profiling cap on. Wanted to ask you about that because that was had been peaked, and I had some questions for you about what happens next. Who is this yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into this guy first. I just want to say that the audience needs to know that this terrorism attack was classified as domestic terrorism. Okay, I think that's important 
Uh, it is important. Because uh, we're, we're calling this killer of the Marines and the sailor a domestic terrorist. And like you said, Leo, it's very, very sad. It's very tragic. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the family. Now we've got a fellow that's very interesting that's just breaking in the news. There's not a whole lot out there, but we know it's going to be showing up. Here we have in Charleston, West Virginia, Neil Falls, 45 years old, shows up at an escort's house to pay her for sex, gets in the house, and Neil decides that he's going to kill her. So he tells her that he's going to kill her and he's going to beat her and strangle her. So Mr. Falls starts to attack her. Well, let me tell you, some of these prostitutes or escorts are pretty tough chicks. This girl turns around and starts fighting them off with a rake. Well, Brainiac Neil Falls puts his pistol down because he needs two hands to deal with this smaller woman in a rake. Okay? Wow, yeah. When he, when, he puts, when he puts his pistol down, this young lady picks his pistol up and shoots him and kills him, you know. So Mr. Falls got his just desserts, and he's not going to be killing any other women. This girl, they have not released her name, but they're saying she potentially prob- probably stopped a lot more murders of female escorts and prostitutes throughout the country because when they searched Mr. Fall's car, they believe he's a serial killer who's been traveling the country. They found a kill kit in his car, Leo. What was in that kill kit? It was filled with handcuffs, mini knives, Axes, machetes, a sledgehammer, a bulletproof vest, another gun, pistol, shovels, bleach, and other and other cleaning supplies. That's not a that's a kill supply house, John. Are you kidding me? Kill kit. Whoa. Yeah, kill supply house on wheels. Whoa, is right. Yeah. Now, the, the scary part for me is that this guy has been traveling under the radar, which a lot of them have done. And this guy looks like a real pro. He looks like he's extremely organized. Very scary dude. Very scary dude. He's originally from Portland, Oregon, as far as we know. That's the information we have mm-hmm. from all the media. He's been traveling the country for years. Uh, the last address is 10 years ago, or, or more than that, maybe 15 years ago in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. So nobody's been able to keep track of this guy. One of the law enforcement people involved said this guy was a ghost. He just didn't show up anywhere. Okay, no, they, they, He had some some traffic incidents that he got cited for, but really has no criminal record. Now, you know what else he didn't have any of? What's that? So far, when they searched, he had no money on him. He had no money, so he wasn't showing, showing up at this escort's house. Yeah. He has no money. I so mean, he, this, <laughs> this guy, is, this guy's, he, he knows he's not going to pay her. I guess he's so. He's going to kill her. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you wonder if this guy has not only been killing prostitutes around the country, but also robbing them. Because where what has this guy been living on? The only thing they they could show where he ever was employed was back in 2005, approximately 2005, in Henderson, Nevada, which is near Hoover Dam. He was a security guard of some sort at Hoover Dam. Now, it just so happens when uh, Mr. Falls was living out in Henderson, Nevada, you had four murdered prostitutes found all chopped up. And there are... And uh, there's at least one other missing they never found. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, this guy had an array of axes, knives, and he had a machete in the car. Okay? Right. He likes, he likes, I guess he would be liking to slice and dice, wouldn't he? I think he's a slicer and dicer, okay? Mm-hmm. And now also, like around 140 miles from um, Charleston, West Virginia, where this escort killed Neil Falls, is Chillahote, Ohio. Let me pronounce that, see if I can pronounce that better. Chillicote, Ohio. Well, in Chillicote, Ohio, you have four prostitutes who are in the drug culture, found dead, and two are still missing. So they are looking at him for that one as well. So you've got four in Henderson, Nevada. Mm-hmm. You've got supposedly six in Chillicote, Ohio, 140 miles where he's at. I got to tell you, Leo, I got a bad feeling about this guy. I think this guy's the tip. I think these possible murders, I'm saying possible, mm-hmm. are the tip of the iceberg for this guy. Because this he, guy has been traveling all around the country. Was he connected to the area in Ohio, John? Is that what you said? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. They have not connected him yet. Um, so he's really, uh, you know, he's really somebody that we have to, we have to really, uh, keep on the radar. You know, the other problem is, you know, that he was 45 years old, Leo. And, you know, since I've been profiling and working on serial killer cases, I have to tell you, these guys don't start at 45 years old. They start somewhere between 25 and 35, and, and these, these are actually old average age numbers, if you will. We're finding recently that they're starting younger and younger, and I've seen serial killers uh, start around 18, 19. That's so, scary. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, he's, this guy here, uh, his, he, he, they really have to find out, you know, where he's been and what he, you know, where he's lived. And, uh, you know, I mean, he also had, get this, uh, in his pocket, the cops found a list of names and ages of escorts in the area. And they call, they're calling it a kill list. So, oh, Lord. did he? Yeah. Are these women still around? Or yeah, they- they're still they're still around. This is uh, you know this this was a new area, and okay. again, here we go with the internet. Here we go with yeah. social side. Your book, I mean, because the name 
the name of this uh, website he was working off, I believe it was called Backstage. Yes, well, yeah, I've heard I of mean, that. I that's mean, that's the dating website of choice now for uh, prostitutes and serial killers, I guess, since Craigslist started to uh, try to put an end to it. It's like a menu. It's like a menu for serial killers. That page, you know, go on and find what you want. Yeah, and it's and he's looking for something to fulfill his fantasy. You know, to a, a girl that has the physical characteristics that are going to fit and fill his fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, showing up with no money. So, and he, I guess maybe you're right. That's how he made his living across the country. If that's the case, what? Well, we got a break in a few minutes, but I really wanted to ask you, like, what what happens next now? You know, as a profiler and. You know, the, as, you know, the, who gets involved? What's the process? And you know, from this point, yeah, we'll get, we'll definitely get into that. Yeah, yeah, they got to track this guy. They do. I saw his picture, boy. What a scary looking man. Scary looking. Now, do you want to come back to this after the break, or do you want to jump into it? It's very interesting stuff. Well, we better take our break because it's time, and we'll get into it as soon as we get back. It's crime and reason, folks. Stick around. We are raising a generation of techno-savvy and social media-obsessed kids. There's a lack of real human connection and concern for our fellow man. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen explores the new generation of young people and how they are turning into godless people with narcissistic and psychopathic tendencies. Americans have become so obsessed with themselves that their country's once great bedrock of dignity and respect is crumbling from underneath us right before our eyes. Isn't it time that we regained our confidence in spirituality and the existence of a higher power? This and so much more is explored in the book Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen. Social Side is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, FaithBooksAndMore.com, and SocialSideInfo.com. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by Leo J. Battenhausen. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Battenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, the common sense way to find happiness and satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. Now, back to John and Leo for more Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Good evening, everybody. John Kelly here with my partner in crime, Leo Battenhausen. Good evening. We're back. But anyway, uh, Leo, you were asking me a very important question. You were asking me 
you know, what happens now? I mean, here we have a ghost of a serial killer mm-hmm. who is flying under the radar, who has no criminal history to speak of. His last known residence is approximately 15 years ago in Oregon or something. He was out there. Well, what they're going to have to do is, first of all, they're going to have to look uh, for credit cards. They're going to have to see if he had any credit cards. And if he did have credit cards, then where were purchases made for gas, food, etc.? Okay, mm-hmm. that that will be can be a map on where he was. The second thing they're going to have to look at is if he had a cell phone, and I'm sure he did. And what they're going to have to do is look at his cell phone records. Okay. Now, the third thing they're going to have to do is look to see if he had any kind of computer and if there's some way they can, uh, you know, check his IP address and kind of follow it to see where that computer has been because it would leave some kind of electronic signature somewhere if, in fact, he did it. What What's probably going to get them the most traction is by putting this guy's picture in the media, in the media, in the media. They need to have this guy all over the media. Okay, Anybody that, that knows him at all, ran into him, remembers him, you know, needs to speak up. Now, I have to believe that this guy had to work somewhere, someplace, somehow. Usually, these kinds of guys are looking for a cash payday. He just wants to make cash, you know, and get a day's pay for a day's work and then eventually move on. Yeah. So there are people out there. I got to believe there are like maybe construction people out there that know him where he did some work for them. Um, there could be, uh, you know, he could have driven taxi. I mean, any, yeah, any yeah, yeah. type of cash, any type of cash job is where this guy would have been because, again, he's trying to stay under the radar. Apparently, so gonna, he did a very good job of it, too. Oh, huh? yeah. I mean, if we're yeah. talking possibly 25, 30, 25 years or so of killing, yeah. yeah, it's possible, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we could be potentially looking at 20, 25 years here easy. And, uh, you know, you have so many, uh, clusters of dead women throughout the country and the vast majority being prostitutes that are really cold cases and unsolved. Uh, I, you've got uh, 12 to 14 that I know of in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, Albuquerque, New Mexico is not a far stretch from Las Vegas. Not at all. You've got girls missing in Henderson. You get girls missing and, and found uh, murdered. And, and these girls in Albuquerque it looked like they were all chopped up as well. We know this guy likes to slice and dice based on the axes and knives and machete and everything. So we're looking potentially all around the country. Uh, and what they have to do is they have to look to see if they have any DNA at all. 
that can match mm. this guy's DNA. You know, what they'll do is they'll take a DNA sample from him, yeah. they'll put it in the system, and they'll run it. And any unsolved cases, any unsolved murders around the country that where the police have uh, found DNA and have put the DNA in the system, you know, there could be a definite match there. Well, tell me um, something, John. Don't tell me this now. He's dead, right? The girl yeah. killed him. So yeah. we don't have him to, to talk to um, yeah. or, or look into. Well, how much are we going to put the time and resources into looking for these? I mean, these prostitutes don't get a fair shake, in my opinion, when it comes to these their killings, you know, right? Is that my right about that? They don't get the yeah. attention that, uh, the, you know, a, a regular girl would. If the, if, the, if the prostitute is kind of like, eh, well, you know, another prostitute. Are they going to look for this? Do you, do you think that's going to happen? Are they really going to spend the time and effort? Or are they just going to pop in his DNA and see what comes up? Well, I think they're I think they're going to have to do both because this is a high media case and it's just getting started. It's just getting legs in the in the media. Yeah. It's going to be all over the news eventually. I would hope it is. I would hope it is because you and I both know that these prostitutes were somebody's child. Well, that's it. They're mothers. Somebody's sister. They may be somebody's mother. Yes. Okay. Yes. And 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 you know what has them out? You know, uh, living a life, a, a very risky lifestyle to make money. And usually, it's drug addiction. Usually, it's heroin that has them enslaved. I mean, it's it, it, it's just hard for me to imagine some little girl at nine or ten years old fantasizing what she's going to be when she gets older and she's just fantasizing she can't wait to grow up to be a drug addicted street prostitute yeah i just can't fathom that but but getting back to your question what why does law enforcement you know do they put the same emphasis into it that's sometimes it. they do, sometimes they don't. Depends on the detectives. It depends on who they have to look at as well. Now, keep in mind, in 90% of your murders, 90% of the murders at least, the killer is someone that knew the victim. The killer right. is someone that knew the victim. So the detectives... Start going off to the family, family and friends, right? You know, boyfriends, right. husbands. Usually, in ninety percent of cases, that's gonna it's gonna be one of those people that killed the that, that murdered the victim. Not, and I'm not saying a prostitute here. I'm saying just a regular murder. But when you get into prostitute murders, because they themselves are transient, because they don't hook up with their family a lot. It takes a while, and I'm giving the detectives a benefit of the doubt here, for them to find out that the girl's missing. Then after the girl's been missing a while, then they find a bag of bones in the woods or something. Now they got a murder case on their hands. Well, time has elapsed already, and now it's a lot of work to try and go back and figure out who were the John she was seeing, where she from, you know, to follow all the victimology. The other side of that coin is, hey, over in England and Europe, they really follow through on these investigations and stay on top of these murders of sex workers. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so 
I think I think uh, based on you know uh, your book, and I'm going to use your book, and you probably say, what, "What's he saying? My book was okay." But social side is showing an increase in narcissism, uh, psychopathy, sociopathy. Uh, we know there's got to be more serial killers. We're seeing it uh, because we know child abuse is on the rise. You just brought that up. Yep. Okay. And, you know, the bottom line is that this is, this is bigger than anybody uh, wants to admit. And what really, really upsets law enforcement is when they're in a town and they start to have these women go missing and then they start to find some bodies and they are very afraid of the word, two words, two words, serial killer. Because once those two words come out, that's when here comes the press. And when the press and the media get involved, guess what? Here comes the stress on that one yeah, agency yeah. to solve the case. Well, and and rightfully so, because the, we, we don't know how many potential victims this, this guy may have killed. And then all of those families don't know what happened to their family member. That's so this could, this could, I know it is. I mean, you get no peace. But uh, this could potentially really put a lot of people at least at, at ease knowing what happened to mommy or my sister or my, you know, my my daughter. It's just it's incredibly important. And I'm, who are we to judge why they do what they do? But they've been slaughtered for no reason. So hopefully this will, the, the media will come in and push this to be, uh, this could be a huge finding, like a good find on your part there, John. Yeah, and, and something else, thank you, and something else you mentioned, how do these serial killers have such selective memories when they look at all their victims? Yeah. The bottom, the bottom line is that they relive the power, control, uh, and complete sexual dominance, and finally the killing of their victim. Uh, they just continue to fantasize that over and over and over. So they have all their victims embedded with all these fantasies in their brains. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And like, well, we won't have the power or the ability now to, to pick this guy's brain, but they kind of hold on to that information for dear life. John, we're, we're coming down to the end of the show here, but, um, really important. I want to stay on top of this case here and, uh, I appreciate your your input because I don't think a lot of people know what what you just described for us as the process and going um, through finding these people. So, yeah, and just then one serial killer said, "Well, you know what? You can lock me up, but I'll always have my thoughts and fantasies." Yeah, they hold on to these the, the information like it's gold. And that's the, what that's correct. Part of that sickness. Yeah. Well, well, folks, we appreciate you being here tonight. And um, we ask you to check out our website, please, at crimeandreason.com. It's crimeandreason.com. And uh, we'll be back next Wednesday with more information and new topics. John, uh, you got anything going on? No, we're good. We're good to go. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can dig up on Mr. Falls, Neil Falls, Yeah. Uh, for next week. Excellent. Excellent. Well, folks, thanks again for sticking around. This is Crime and Reason. We'll see you next Wednesday.